Thessalonians. And Thessalonians, uh, two little books, two letters. Thessalonica was one of the chief port cities of Macedonia, uh, one of the capitals uh, of, of, of the region there. And uh, Paul was on his second missionary journey. In fact, you can keep a finger in First Thessalonians and maybe put one in, in uh, Acts chapter 17 is the story. Just a few verses, ten verses is all we really know about Paul's visit uh, to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews there. Uh, they had That means that there were at least 17 men that could meet together on a regular basis within walking distance, a Sabbath day's journey of each other. The synagogue was there. It was functioning. And Paul, let's just uh, start in Acts chapter 17. It says, Now when they had passed through... Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, and a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So we have Paul's ministry here. It says his habit was that three Sabbath days he would go to the synagogue, he would reason with the Jews in the synagogue, he would try to help them, he would open the scriptures and and, and prove from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the answer to all of the prophecies. And this was important. Um, we, every once in a while, run into someone who says, well, I'm involved in Jewish ministries. And say, well, I'm involved in ministry to people. Amen? Uh, uh, and uh, they, they try to make a special thing, and they say, well, uh, to the Jew first. Well, yeah, that's true. That's why Paul went into the synagogue. Uh, when he was at Philippi, if you'll remember, there was, he, he asked, he inquired where people gathered on the Sabbath for prayer. Because if there were not enough men to hold, uh, to actually form a synagogue and organize a synagogue, the habit was that the Jewish believers would, would come together on the Sabbath day, usually by a river, and they would pray. And so, uh, Paul, when he heard that there was a synagogue, he said, we're going to spend some time here because Paul did not believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament were contradictory. He believed that they were complementary. He believed that they worked together. That, And, of course, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, most of it, uh, and Paul was teaching there, and he came in, and he would reason with them. He would open the Scriptures. The Christ, the Messiah that was promised to Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth be blessed. The seed that would crush the serpent's head promised to Adam and Eve there. Out, just outside the garden as they were suffering the 
beginning to suffer the consequences of committing the first sin and being cast out of the garden. Oh, we have all of the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and the prophecies that were in the Psalms of David. All of these passages talked about Jesus coming as the Messiah. Even to this day, I've had some uh, interaction, different Jewish people, and they say, there's not one verse in the Bible that says that the Messiah would suffer. Well, how about Isaiah 53? How about Psalm 22? I mean, the description, the crucifixion is described in such uh, detail in Psalm 22 that one would almost believe it to be a history rather than a prophecy. And uh, But people will explain away anything not to believe, excuse me, not to believe the truth. Paul had just finished, if you're familiar with your Bible, Acts chapter 16, the city of Philippi. Lots of great things happened in Philippi, didn't they? There was a church established there. People were saved. The church in Philippi was primarily a Gentile church. There, were, there was no synagogue there. There were not very many Jewish people. We had uh, Lydia, uh, who was not even from Philippi. She was from Laodicea. She had come there. She was sojourning in this city. Uh, she was a seller of purple. And, of course, that meant that she was dealing in the garments to the rich, the famous, and the powerful. Those were the the people that wore the special purple garments. It was a, uh, a very uh, 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 closed uh, system. There were lots of trade secrets and you had to have connections and Lydia had all of those. And so, but she was one of the centers there. Of course, we have Paul being beaten and and as they went through different towns, they were looking for a place to get a foothold. And all of a sudden, Paul said, hey, there's a synagogue here. Let's get to work. Three Sabbaths, three weeks, he was there. And he was working. And in those weeks, there were people that consorted. There were people that believed. There were people that started following the teachings that Paul had. Now... We, we do not know how long Paul was in Thessalonica. He was there at least three weeks. He could have been there as much as six months, but most likely he was not there even two months. It was a very, very short period of time. And we uh, uh, come down here to, to verse 5. Uh, we said, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now, that's some really nice words uh, that describe some really bad people. Uh, These were people of no character. Isn't it amazing? The the Jewish people were supposed to not have... uh, You remember Acts chapter 10 when they contended with Peter for just eating dinner at Cornelius' house? How they argued with them. Now, here we have those same Jews that were going to argue with Peter about eating dinner at Cornelius' house, going down to the bad part of town. Uh, do I need to explain that to you? Uh, this is where, the, the, uh, in our modern day time, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, the, the people who had no life, 
uh, didn't want any life other than just involving themselves in self-destructive behaviors, and they hired them. Said, "Come on, we need some help here. We need to. We need to. We, we need to make some trouble. Oh, making trouble is that's my business. Uh, these were the people they were looking for, and so they set the city on an uproar, and they assaulted the house of Jason, who was one of the leaders there, and tried to uh, bring them, look at verse 6, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Isn't that a great testimony? These, These disciples of Jesus, they've turned the world upside down. Well, whose world had they turned upside down? Uh, it wasn't the Roman world. The Christian church had not even made the Roman radar yet. It was still too small a movement. They, they, I mean, uh, Pontius Pilate understood a few things. Festus, uh, King Agrippa. I mean, there were some people that knew that this was a different, but most of the time the Christians were still counted as a sect uh, of the Jews, were still considered part of the Jewish faith. And so... Uh, their world was the only world turned upside down, and there is some great instruction to remember. Uh, we have, uh, you will run into people screaming that the sky is falling about different things. We had this entire Judge Kavanaugh debacle here, where the little chicken littles, uh, our senators from New York and others included there, were screaming. You know what the issue was? And still is. They are deathly afraid that Judge Kavanaugh will strike down Roe versus Wade. That's what they're afraid of. Now, could I ask you a question? How can Judge Kavanaugh strike down Roe versus Wade? Is there any legal means at his disposal where he personally can get this done? No, absolutely not. No single justice of the Supreme Court can decide anything. In fact, the Supreme Court cannot decide any case that is not brought to it. Uh, The Supreme Court does not get to pick uh, the issues it will deal with. They have to pick from the cases that are brought to them. And so I want you to understand that when somebody is screaming... The sky is falling. The chances are they're talking about themselves or their little group of people. It's not everybody. And, and let's be careful that, that we do not try to react to this. But they, um, uh, let's, let's finish our story here. And it says, whom Jason hath received, verse 7, and these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, one Jesus, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let him go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, you think Paul would learn better, but no, Paul had a pattern. The reason he went to the synagogue was that was where... This book was. The Old Testament was there. The people who studied the Bible were at the synagogue. 
And many of those people who were at the synagogue studied and understood that Jesus was their Messiah. That was the only missing point to their theology. That was the only thing that differed with what they believed in God and what we believe in God. Now, we're not talking about the Jewish cultural things. What we're talking here about is their faith in God was essentially a faith in God who was the Redeemer and they understood Jesus being the Redeemer. We need to understand that the Jewish nature of our faith, of our theology, is all explained in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament tabernacle and later the temple. That was the the illustration of what Jesus would do. And it did not take, they were only there, maybe. Our best guess is four to six weeks. Paul and Silas were there and Timothy in the city of Thessalonica. And when they left, they had a church. Now, what do you have to have to have a church? Well, you have to have a preacher, right? You have to have somebody who is going to lead the congregation, and you have to have some people who are going to follow. I mean, those two things are essential to a church. And in just a few weeks, three of those weeks, Paul spent in the Jewish synagogue. When he left, there was a church in the city of Thessalonica. Isn't that an amazing thing? And Paul went out from the church in Antioch. That's why first question I ask when someone says, well, we're starting, what, what is your sending church? Where, where do you come from? Uh, that tells us a whole lot. And sometimes you run into somebody and say, oh, no, I don't need one of those. I'm just going on my own. And go, yeah, okay. Uh, that's not the Bible way now, is it? The Bible way is churches start churches. And so we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we look here, the first chapter is only ten verses. But it says, Paul and Silvanus... And Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul's greeting here. Uh, I was reading a little background information, and it says that so Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so proposed that in Thessalonica there were actually... There was one church, but it was meeting in two groups. The Jewish believers met over here, and the, and the uh, 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 Gentile believers met over here, and they didn't have fellowship together, and, and, and that's why. And I'm sitting here going, that, that, that is nothing but conjecture. That's not what we find in this book. What we find in this book is... Paul is speaking and he gives them greetings to the church at Thessalonica. Which church is it? The one that's in God, the Father? Would that not speak to the Jewish aspect of the church, my friend? It absolutely would. They would under, And in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, making those two equal, God the Father, God the Son, 
he is dealing with both of these factions because there was a multitude of Greeks in the church. There were more Greeks than there were Jews in this church. And you have to understand that um, the earliest preachers, most of them were Jews because they would spent their whole life studying the Bible. Wish we could grasp, get, get a hold of that. The, the leaders, Paul was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. The writers of the book, books of the Bible, sometimes some people say, well, Luke had a Gentile name, but uh, there, there is no doubt that, uh, that Luke was of Jewish heritage in his family and in, in his, because of all the things he wrote about. Only a Jew would have studied those things and known them the way that Luke did and the way that he relates them in, in his, uh, thing here, in his books that he wrote. And Paul is addressing the believers in Christ, both Jew and, 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 and uh, Gentile, and his greeting is grace be unto you and peace. Now, in case you're wondering, Sylvanus was Silas. That's just another spelling of the same name. Paul's traveling companion. This was Paul's second missionary journey. Remember Barnabas took John Mark and went to (coughs) Crete. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, Paul picked Silas. And now he had Timothy with him. And they were... Traveling there, these were the founders of the church, and his address is grace and peace. Now, why are those two things so important? Why did Paul always use grace and peace? Well, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Amen. It's what we do not deserve. And peace is what grace brings. How many of you have ever been ill at ease with yourself? There's a conflict going on. There's no peace in your soul. Sometimes the peace that is lacking on the inside, it causes the greatest discomfort and agita in your life when you can be at peace with God. Let me tell you something, you're at peace with yourself. And then you have a chance on being at peace with the people around you. And Paul is telling us that grace and peace have its source in the same God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he tells them, he says in verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica. It was not founded without great difficulty, without persecution. And he's going to go down through these next a few verses here and explain some things that were going on, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, in the sight of God and our Father. So he's telling them the work of faith, the labor of love and patience of hope. You know, we have a work that we are trying to accomplish. The Bible tells us that God wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
Anybody say here, God's finished with me. I, I am the perfect image of Jesus. If just to know me is to know more about our Savior. Well, I would dare say that most of us got a little bit more work in that category to do. Would you agree with me on that? And, and so there is a, a work of faith that needs to happen here. There is a labor of love. We should do what we do for Christ, not out of fear, not out of uh, uh, just a sense of duty, but it is a labor of love, and we have to wait. Paul, is, when he gets down here to the end, verse 10, he's going to talk about them being delivered from the wrath to come. The, the scope and sequence of these books of the first and second Thessalonians, there's a lot of, uh, of references here to things that happen in the end times. And that's what makes these two little books so important, is they explain to us things that we don't get anywhere else in the Bible. And Paul is trying to help the Thessalonians know that the persecution that they're undergoing, the difficulties that they are laboring in, are part of our service to God. Verse 4 says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, all the Calvinists, they love that verse. Ah, ah, there it is. The election of God. Well, how do you know uh, that you're elect? Well, the Calvinists don't know whether they're elected or not. They have no clue. You see, they believe you can't lose your salvation, but they also believe that you had nothing to do with it, so you have no way of knowing whether you're elected or not until you're dead and in heaven. Can I tell you that that falls within the boundaries of what is rightfully called sophistry? That's just stupidity. Sorry, there's no other word for it. Uh, that's where the word sophomore comes from. Wise fool is what sophomore means. And sophistry is just foolishness. Hey, you want me to tell you how you can know you're elect? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they did in Thessalonica, wasn't it? And there was persecution there. And if you want to really see how good something is, test it. When we went on vacation this summer as a family, we went down toward Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I said, I, I'm going I'm to get me a fishing pole so that we can fish from the shore. And so I read up on all this and I got me a reel that was going to really work with this fishing pole. And I got out there and tried to start fishing with it. And after the first two or three casts, I decided the first thing I was doing when I got home. Send that dumb thing back. Get another one. Uh, because it was not what it was advertised. If you want to find out how something works, put it to the test. Amen? Now, what greater test of Christianity is there than opposition from those who don't believe and want to stop you from believing and practicing your Christianity? That's what happened in Thessalonica, and that's why Paul was so endeared with these to these people is he had such little time with them and such great persecution, they literally had to flee for their lives. So he starts in verse 5, and we're going to 
uh, read all the way through verse 10. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad. So that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So, we have the gospel coming to the Thessalonians, and Paul says that it came not in word only. It was not just Paul going in and say, believe on Jesus, and they said yes, and everything was good. It said there was power involved. There was life-changing power. And it says that there were things that were done that only God could be attributed, changes that made. Have you ever met someone who gave testimony? with the way they lived and the way they walked and talked, that the Holy Ghost of God was truly living in them. I'll tell you, this is what was going on in Thessalonica. They had been put to the test, and what came out was a testimony to the goodness of God and the power of the gospel. And it says, in much assurance. Now, I love that. I have dealt with, uh, many, many people over the years it's, that need assurance of their salvation. They're doubting as to whether they're truly saved or not. You know what? The Thessalonians, they, they didn't need, they didn't have that problem because their faith had been put to the test in such a way that they were assured what was going on in their lives was coming from God. Now, most of us, would not like to be tested that way, would we? And really, there's something wrong with you if you're wanting to jump in and, and have persecution and all of these things come your way. The Bible tells us not to seek for these things, but that we should walk with the Lord in spite of these things, and then we'll find out uh, whether uh, how real our faith truly is. But that assurance, and Paul puts it this way, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Now, don't you love that? Paul said, you just followed our teaching. You followed the Lord Jesus Christ. I often use this illustration, or I mean, this instruction is simply, if what I'm saying is Bible, then you have an obligation to follow the Bible. That is the way the Bible teaches. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, you followed us. We taught you the Bible. And as you followed us, you automatically followed the Lord Jesus Christ. You received the Word 
in much affliction. But I'll tell you, with the affliction comes the joy of the Holy Ghost. The Thessalonians, and this is hard for us because uh, all we have is ten verses out of the book of Acts talking about the Thessalonians. We're looking back into history, most of which has been lost. But Paul is telling us here, he's letting us see that the testimony, what happened in Thessalonica was actually repeated and broadcast all over the Asian, uh, uh, all over the Grecian peninsula there, up toward Philippi and down as far as Achaia would be uh, Corinth and, and those great cities there. And everywhere the story of the Thessalonians was told. Look what Paul said. He said, In every place your faith toward Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You know, all Paul would have to say as he was traveling. Do you remember the Thessalonians? Oh, yeah. I got it. Now I understand what you're talking about. Now, for us, we don't have that information. So when we say the Thessalonians, all we think about are these two little letters with all those hard-to-pronounce names in them. And and yet, uh, we need to understand that they had a testimony to the gospel that it says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. He said, The people that have heard the testimony, they're telling us the change that happened in the lives of the Thessalonians. And Paul said, Yeah, I was, I was the preacher at that meeting. Uh, I, I, was the, I was the one that was there, the, you know. And... Paul said, we don't even need to add to what they said. We know how you turn from idols. Now, here, did the Jewish people worship idols? No. They had, they had an abhorrence of idols. They worshiped no idols. So this was talking about the larger Greek or... Uh, well, actually Greek, because this is part of Greece, the Greek population of the church, the Greek believers, how they turn from all of their idols and their mythology. And, and I will tell you, even if you witness to many people of Greek heritage today, they'll talk about the Orthodox Church, but if you really press them, if they'll let you talk to them, it's, it's not too long before they talk, start really talking about Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and the philosophers. Because that is the basis of their culture and their religion is all of that philosophy. We have Thomas Aquinas coming along in the late 1400s and, and he is trying to assimilate Greek philosophy with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is the founder of modern Catholic theology. Uh, he, he moved them from uh, a basis that had to deal with mostly tradition into the vain philosophies of the Greeks who knew nothing of God. These Thessalonians, they turned from the idols. They turned from the philosophy and they worshiped the living God. 
You know, we have to be careful. The philosophers are still alive today. There are still many, many people out there that try to assimilate, try to put together. Stephen's talking to me about some of the things that he is studying right now. And he says, when I get all through this, you and I are going to have to sit down and have a long talk uh, about the Calvinist and the, uh, uh, the uh, I can't even remember all the words that he used, Marist or uh, something like that, who, have, uh, who are the anti-Calvinist. And then this other guy came in and he tried to uh, go through and assimilate all the beliefs of everybody. And, and I said, Stephen, why are you studying all that stuff? He says, well, uh, that's, that's what my class is right now. So I'm going to check out this class here, but I'll tell you. Uh, we need to study the Word of God. That's got to be our basis. If our anchor isn't there, I promise you, you will be moved. The, the idol worshipers are still out there today. And uh, what is amazing to me, just a quick aside here, is how many people are willing to follow these little cultic leaders that are out there. We were, uh, the fine hours were actually at the missions conference we were at. And so we were discussing certain things and, and uh, he was, well, what is the difference between some of these different groups of, of Baptists he hadn't heard of, of? And so went through some of that and he was just like, well, that's nothing but a personality cult. Said, yeah, that's exactly correct. You don't have to have a little Buddha sitting on your counter to worship an idol, my friend. Sometimes people get there. Uh, we were went out to a little McDonald's after one of the services just to get a snack. And and a guy walks up and says, you look like a church group. And I said, it was our family. And I said, well, yeah, we're we're a church group. My wife was actually talking and... And I tried to give him a track from the church and some information, and and he started talking about, you see, Trump has the Cyprian blessing. And what? He he's uh, uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah forty five. It talks about Cyrus, and he's got the blessing of Cyrus on him. And I'm going, yeah, um, you know. Where we come from is we just stick to the literal words. We're not looking, oh, I know you have a different understanding, but he's still, and I'm sitting here going, you know, you're not getting anywhere until you stop believing your silly little prophet, your idol, and start believing the Word of God. The Word of God is the final arbiter of truth. That's what the Thessalonians had. And here's what it says that that would do for them to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, we have to get a hold of this. There is a great future outlook for the Christian. We are supposed to be anticipating the return of our Savior. Those of you that have been through discipleship, nearly every chapter of the New Testament, uh, or at least that many times, refers to the second coming of the Lord in some way or another. I mean, it's, it's all through the Bible. 
And we need to be looking and we need to be patiently waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says delivered in past tense. He's already delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus is protecting us from that wrath. And yet we have people out there trying to teach that we're going to go through the tribulation or the church is going to go through part of the tribulation or uh, half of it or the first section of it or all of these things. No, Jesus past tense. He's already delivered us. He has protected us from the wrath to come. We're safe. So what we need to do is get busy serving God. That is the lesson to the Thessalonians. And Lord willing, over the next several Sunday nights, we'll be going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians and just going through the letters to these little churches here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would help us as we study your word, as we look at this little book that Paul was there possibly as little as four to six weeks and yet left the church. Lord, it's amazing how the Jews and the Gentiles came together and formed a single body to serve you. And Paul addresses that service and that testimony all the way through uh, these little books. And Lord, we ask that you would encourage us and help us. Lord, we pray that you would give Open Door Bible Baptist Church such a testimony that in this great city of New York, that people would hear of what's going on here and understand that people have left their religion, their tradition, their culture, and have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you want to do. Before we finish that prayer, if anybody needs to come forward and add a few of their own, then we'll get into our prayer time.